podcast. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> I said that we were podcast. 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 <laughs> what is our podcast called? It is called This is the Part I Don't Get. Starring me, Jay, and you, Bay. Good job. <laughs> and it is episode 59. Yes, that we is correct. We are so close to 100. <laughs> <laughs> Just like another year. <laughs> Bay's Thursday thought is that I was finally able to find Diet Schweppes soda. I've been searching for this for a very long time. Really? It has to be Schweppes? No, it doesn't have to be. But I was just like, I like, I prefer Schweppes over Canada Dry. And like, everyone's got Canada Dry, but nobody has Diet Schweppes. Just go to the grocery store. You couldn't find it there? Well, no. That's where you found it, isn't it? I could not. I found it in a random CVS, not like my CVS, a different CVS. And I had to, huh. you know, had to bring that that puppy home because <laughs> I've been in search of this for quite some time. Because Schweppes is not as like sweet as Canada Dry. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's better. It tastes fine. It's been a while since I've had diet ginger ale. Usually, I only drink ginger ale if I'm sick, and usually just regular old ginger ale does the trick at that point. <laughs> I I drink it all the time. <laughs> Is that is that your new drink? I don't I don't remember you yeah, drinking ginger ale. I, in the past. I, I held I hung up my uh, my diet Dr Pepper hat, and <sighs> um, I've been yeah I've been doing it just because it's you know it gives you that sweetness the carbon the bubbles and it's not it doesn't have caffeine because I'm now an elderly woman, and cannot <laughs> sleep if I've had caffeine. Uh, even in the morning daily i'm turning into my mother you know just inch by inch minute by minute <laughs> i'm just becoming an older woman Nah, i don't know probably yeah i i have my big my big coffee in the morning so okay I've, I've got i've got a pretty decent shot of caffeine in the morning okay yeah because once that stops i'm gonna be like i don't know who you are anymore <laughs> i don't know i don't know but you know just sending out that thursday thought that diet schweppes does exist is the way to bay's heart and it's i finally found it so that was my and i feel like the more work you do to find it the better it tastes (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) well i think i'm pretty sure it's your turn because last time yes last time last time i wrote it in my book you decided for the two of us that it was that it was my turn first or my my turn last last time yeah so I am going to try and make this as short and sweet as possible. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> so I, of course, like many others, watched and enjoyed in horror the Netflix documentary Seaspiracy. And I mentioned to you that I, that was probably going to be a topic. I broke the code and I kind of told you ahead of time what it was going to be. <laughs> um, kind of because I just didn't want you to watch it. Um, well, so- once you told me about them killing dolphins, I was like, I'm not watching that. Oh, so you're not going to watch it? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that part would hit you hard. I think it would hit you yeah, hard. Yeah. Um, however, you know, like you and I watched, um, you know, Sea Shepherd and... 
Um, but it wasn't called Sea Shepherd. It was called Whale Wars, right? And then yeah. you and I watched like that. I think it was called, um, was it called Blackfish? The the one about the Oh, yeah, whale. yeah. So we've seen some stuff kind of sort of in this realm. Um, so my sources are National Geographic, socialimpactmovement.org, Psychology Today, Smithsonian Magazine, and of course, the Netflix documentary, Seaspiracy. So Seaspiracy is kind of like the, um, I guess, like inspiration for this, but it's not the whole entire topic. Um, so my big thing was like, my, my, the part I didn't get was, you know, like, what is the whole problem anyway with our oceans? You know, like, what is the root cause of what's happening out there? Is there a problem? And what is it? And then, um, you know, lastly, and this ties in a little bit of the psychology is like, even me myself, like, why do we feel like it's a-okay to eat fish, but not necessarily land animals? Like when you decide to be like a vegetarian or- Oh yeah. Like what's the distinction? They don't don't know they're being killed or something. I I think people, (laughs) yeah, it is kind of- And like, what is that about? And why do even myself has had that thought process like yeah like Like it's just a fish yeah you can't pet it it's not cuddly uh you know like it's okay i can eat fish you know like yeah but technically you know it is neat so all right so um the the documentary if you haven't watched it i highly recommend it's called seaspiracy and it's narrated and directed by ollie tabrizi um and uh I'm not going to say the whole entire thing because I don't want to just like totally ruin the movie. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to just come up with certain Summary. points. So um, Ali, um, I don't know if he pronounces it Ollie or Ali, but I guess I'll say Ali. So the movie is narrated by him and it's told from his perspective. And he like apparently loves the ocean and he loves fish. And he wanted to make a documentary about the ocean and why it was so wonderful. But then a lot of news reports came out about like, um, essentially like plastic being found in like the stomach of a lot of beached whales even in the UK and there was all these whales being beached and they had all this plastic inside of them so his documentary kind of changed directions and he that was kind of his inspiration to find out like what's really happening in our oceans and like what are people doing that's making things worse mm-hmm. so the the documentary touched on literally like everything you can possibly think of but it had a lot to do with commercial and overfishing and how that's a huge problem, not only to the ocean, but a direct result of our planet. So the World Wildlife Organization says that um, fishing is one of the most significant drivers of declines in the ocean wildlife populations. There's no surprise there. They say that catching fish is not inherently bad for the ocean, except for when vessels catch fish faster and the stocks can replenish. And that is something called overfishing. So commercial fishing is um, catching fish on a very large scale. So commercial fishing can catch up to 2.7 trillion fish a year. And there's no oh, other yeah. industry on planet earth that kills that many animals in one year. So it's like kind of like factory farming, but yeah, we're not but really so producing. Yeah. yeah. So instead it's, of it's us like I guess. breeding, you know, yeah, because we're not breeding the fish, yeah, I'm assuming. We're just it's, taking them from yeah. their habitat. Yeah, and wow. yes, from, from the ocean. So this is something completely different than um, yeah. fish farming, because you can have fish farming too. 
Oh, okay. So um, in the documentary, they mentioned that they, they do believe that if the current fishing trends continue, then we would see nearly empty oceans as early as the year 2048. So not too long from now, definitely Whoa. within our lifetime. So empty. So a lot of people, you know, are cool with, you know, fishing and eating fish and, and, you know, fishing has been going on for so long and people have been eating fish for so long. So, you know, like, why are they even good for us in the first place? Like, why should we care about the empty oceans in 2048? So the ocean is home to 80% of life on earth. That's a lot. The whales and dolphins help the earth, the actual whole entire planet, just by moving up and down in the water because they resurface oh. for air. So this creates something called phytoplankton. And phytoplankton is very good. <laughs> that sounds <because> familiar. <laughs> I know, right? Eighth grade biology, anyone? <laughs> it can absorb four times more the amount of carbon that the Amazon rainforest can absorb. So phytoplankton can generate up to 85% of the oxygen that we breathe. So pretty important stuff. Yeah, um, that sounds like, that sounds important. <laughs> and all of this is just a general, um, just like natural reoccurring thing that just happens in our oceans. And that's why our ocean is so important. It reduces our carbon and, you know, and it creates oxygen. So marine life helps also to stabilize water temperatures by literally just swimming. And that uptake going up and down, it stabilizes the water temperatures. And of course, okay. water temperature has been a big topic because of climate change and the melting ice caps, et cetera. Right. The fish in the ocean um, help hold the carbon in the water and it prevents it from being released into the atmosphere, which not only stabilizes the water temperatures, but just like our general climate as well. So 93% of the world's carbon is stored in the ocean due to the health of marine plants. So it's, I didn't think about this at all, but apparently I guess like the bottom of the ocean is essentially like a giant water rainforest, you know, just like mm -hmm. just plants. So plants are very important, not only on land. Um, and then another reason why these things in the ocean things these animals and plants are important is um, sharks sharks are valuable to our oceans ecosystem because they're called apex predators so they're just the top of the food chain and um, they help keep the oceans healthy by doing what a predator does best you know eating you know girl after my own heart I know right? and, um, I do that pretty well <laughs> when there are no predators you know, then the yeah, it's lower, like a butterfly effect. Yes, there are no the lower species on the food chain overpopulate, and then we don't have that biodiversity, and then there's no more balance. So that was just like a couple of things as to why the things in our oceans are important, and we should keep them alive and keep them doing what they normally do best. So all of the things that I just men mentioned are threatened at this point due to commercial fishing and overfishing. Right. So even though we know all of this good stuff and we know a little bit about like why fish and marine life are so important, then why do we have this problem with overfishing? Like why is it so easily ignored? And what is it specifically that overfishing does that is bad? Because people have been fishing for a very long time and we've been eating seafood as humans for a very, very long time. So why Jesus is overfishing? Fish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is overfishing a thing? Like, why is it bad? What is it specifically doing? So um, the 
one of the biggest problems with overfishing is something called bycatch. And they talked about that a lot in the documentary. So bycatch is what is, it's what they call when all the other life is accidentally caught when a commercial oh. fishing vessel is trying to catch a specific species. Yeah, like lateral life. damage kind of. Yes, that's actually a good, that's a good word for it, yeah. <laughs> so bycatch kills a lot of marine life, including like everything from sharks, seabirds, porpoises, seals, dolphins. Every year, at least 50 million sharks are caught this way and most of them die because then they're just tossed overboard. They're not even used. They're literally just become like dead, trash essentially in, in the oceans um, because they don't need them and the commercial fishing fishing vessels aren't trying to catch them even yeah. birds so another reason why overfishing is bad is just simply the amount of the pollution specifically plastic that gets put in the ocean as a result now i'll i'm going to condense this but the documentary talks about this a lot they go and interview a lot of the places that are you know supposed to be protecting our oceans they like bring up how there's so many so much out there towards um conserving our oceans and keeping plastic and trash out of the oceans but they all pretty much neglect the fact that a huge portion of the plastic in the ocean is caused by fishing and obviously oh, it's multiplying because of the overfishing and the abundance of commercial and overfishing, it's getting worse and worse and worse. So that's kind of why I think the documentary is called Seaspiracy because like no one talks about it. No one even like asks the question like, why are we focusing on this type of plastic when the majority of the plastic in the ocean is coming from the fishing industry? And there were some very interesting interviews <laughs> like some very interesting interviews this one woman he was he was saying like so should people lessen their amount of fishing and she was saying and then she thought about it for a second she was like yeah i guess people could lessen the amount of fish that they eat and the amount of fish that they fish and then they they like ended the interview and then her like supervisor essentially came in and he was like well she just said that you know like you know something to consider is maybe eat lessen the amount of fish that you eat and then the woman was like she didn't say that she did not say that. We did not say that. We are not saying that that is that that is a topic. They're afraid of our stance. They're afraid something's going to happen. Yeah, they were just essentially. I, just I thought you were going to say she like. I thought you were going to say she ordered like a fish sandwich for lunch <laughs> or something. No, <laughs> that would have been really funny. But it was so interesting because he's like, um, she just said that that might be something <laughs> that we should consider, and she's like, she didn't say that. I know she didn't say that, and like, woman wasn't even in the room. <laughs> and it's essentially they're just like afraid of the backlash that they're going to get yeah. from the fishing industry because it's that's such a big a industry industry yeah. yeah and i mean i completely understand taking a second to think about your stance because it's not as simple as just stop doing it yeah. you know because the thing that i kept thinking about is like all the people that are employed you know these are yeah. people's livelihoods and a lot of times with everyone fishing Every is something like that. that's like generational too you know like mm -hmm you know like you were a fisherman your dad was a fisherman so on and so forth so it's yeah like, like that's your trade exactly so i kept thinking about that so i don't think it's as easy as just saying stop it stop yeah. eating fish i think that you have to like really think about the whole entire picture so i myself am just sharing the information that i learned and then people get to decide what they want to do with it <laughs>
you know, like, I don't think yeah. it's as simple as just stop it. It sounds like the overfishing is the issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the you just have to, you just have to give the ocean enough time to like replenish its store. It's like restocking the shelves. Right. And, and the, the speed and abundancy of which we're fishing is just making it hard for that to happen. Yeah. So the majority of all plastic in the ocean is caused by fishing. There's a lot of plastic in our oceans from materials like fishing nets and fishing gear specifically. The fishing industry and people who directly benefit and profit from these industries obviously would be reluctant to discuss just how much plastic is coming from fishing. So pollutants and plastics in the ocean create things like, this could be a whole topic in its own. Have you ever heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? No, I think I might have seen it. Disgusting. Yeah. So it's, um, and I love how they call it a garbage patch too, like yeah, a that... cabbage patch. <laughs> Do we get any dolls Pretty much from the self. 90s from this, <laughs> from this garbage patch? You know, are we all flocking to Toys R Us for this? It's so, a patch. <laughs> yes, it's a patch. Um, and then and some articles called it a gyre, like G-Y-R-E, gyre. I think that's how you would say it, or was it, would it be gear? I think it's gyre. I think it's gyre. So it's located in the North Pacific Ocean, and the garbage patch is so large that it spans the entire width of the area between Japan and the United States. Oh my God. Over wow. 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic can be found in this area in the Pacific Ocean called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And 46% of the garbage patch are just discarded fishing nets. Over the years, the amount of garbage collected has grown. So this kind of all happens because of the natural currents that happen in the water. Um, and that's why it all just kind of comes together in this big giant patch. There are now 7.7 .7 million square miles in the North Pacific Ocean that this patch circles around, continually adding trash via the ocean's currents. But when you hear people talk publicly about plastic in the ocean, they don't often, often focus on what's created, how this is, you know, added to yearly just due to fishing. They focus on things like plastic straws. Yeah, and littering. <laughs> So this is strange because plastic straws, according to the documentary, only accounted to 0.003% of the plastics entering. The yeah, ocean. but you see one picture of a turtle with a straw exactly. coming out of its nose. Exactly. So I mean, that was crazy how like every single store or anybody that had straws suddenly went to, to the paper. paper that like disintegrate mm -hmm. in your mouth. <laughs> and now like... I actually like, and I'm, I'm okay with um, like, you know, like the little tops, the plastic tops that like Starbucks has now, but you know, it's just kind of replacing one plastic for another. Yeah. Although they did still have tops on the cups, even when we did use straws. So I mean, I'm I still curious. use the straws, although I have been using reusable ones, like the metal ones. Yeah. But you know, um, like when you get a cold drink from Starbucks and yeah. now that's like a sipper. It's like a sippy cup. Yeah, but I mean, you'd still have the plastic, either that or the, the other plastic yeah, thing on I'm there anyway. So it's curious, not really anything new. Exactly. So I'm curious, does this actually lessen the amount of plastic that's being put out there? Well, or, it, it just keeps you from using a straw. <laughs> or is it just psychological? Um, but um, uh, so we heard so much on the news and the social media about like why straws are bad. And like, you know, from a, a much, much earlier episode that you and I did where I did like Visco Girls, Mm -hmm. A whole big thing of them is 
save the turtles. That's like their, that's a phrase that they use, save the turtles. And that, I think, I think that's what that might even mean. That or whatever. Is that supposed to be a turtle? Snake sound. It's like a snapping turtle. They hiss, right? Um. So um, we heard so much about like why stars are bad, strawers, why strawers mm. are bad and that they specifically kill sea turtles. But when there's so much plastic in the ocean from other sources, it's really interesting that like this is the part that we focus on so much of our attention. So they said that um, a thousand sea turtles die because of plastic per year in the world. But in the USA alone, 250,000 sea turtles are captured, killed and injured every year just because of overfishing. So, you know, let's think about our priorities. <laughs> so um, it also affects the coral reefs. Scientists predict that 90% of all coral reefs will be dead by the year 2050. Fish are a big part of keeping the coral reefs alive and healthy. You can't have one without the other. The fishing industry is directly affected as well by overfishing because it lessens the amount of fish that they're actually able to catch you know, in the oceans, you know, that, right. that store's getting empty. You know, it's like <laughs> trying to find toilet paper in the beginning of COVID. So, as a, <laughs> you know, like, where's my hand sanitizer? I'm gonna die. <laughs> so as a result, in certain areas, they're trying to counteract the, you know, lessening of fish in their stores in the ocean. Um, and the way that they try and fix this problem they kill dolphins. They think that dolphins are eating too many fish, so they literally kill them as a way to kind of counteract that problem. This is and in the US? No. Oh, okay. Because no. I know it's been an ongoing thing in like Japan. It's specifically in the documentary, they do go to a, a, a location in Japan. I'm sure it do happens they, in more than one place though, to be honest. Do they interview Hay Hay uh, Hayden Panettiere, my girlfriend? No, Rose? no. But Quite I thought she activist. was really more about the whale. She was about, oh, you're right. You know, she went out and swam out on her little surfboard. I, I think that was for dolphins that time. Oh, okay. okay. So I think it's both, but the, the agency is called Save the Whales. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like an umbrella. Yeah. So, but what they don't realize is by killing the dolphins, it's actually making their life worse as far as being able to catch the fish is very cause and effect and like you said like the butterfly effect you know like yeah. you you need a balanced ecosystem for it all to work it so, kind of reminds um, me of like with the bees like or the pollen yeah. like that's an, an issue yeah mm -hmm. so bluefin tuna are now overfished and endangered when they were just thriving decades ago and those um, are dolphins correct bluefin tuna those are fish yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> you know like tuna fish yeah, I was like, that's what I thought, but then I was like, well, bluefin, that could be a dolphin. <laughs> I won't go into it, but a very interesting part of the documentary was dolphin safe tuna. Like, is that really a thing? I would watch the documentary just to hear that conspiracy. That was interesting. And yeah. um, the whole idea of like, is sustainable fishing really a thing? And how can you certify it? How can you guarantee that was interesting. And they had the Sea Shepherd people on the documentary from Whale Wars, including the captain dude from that show. Um, oh my God. Was, the I old remember guy. you and I loved 
loved that show. That was so um, good. I know. It's like, this is where my like e- names. E- every, every episode, they're like throwing like, gr- not grenades, but like, I don't, what was it? Smoke bombs or something? It was yeah, it got pretty they violent. Were, they were, exactly. They were trying to like board other ships to get them to stop. But yeah. according to the documentary, no one died or was hurt. Um, yeah in the way that they were able to do it but i'm yeah, sure they literally smashing their boat into another boat in the middle of right. the open ocean so uh, some some uh, some interesting uh, tactics there um <laughs> so shark finning is a huge problem now that's related to overfishing so shark fin soup is a multi-billion dollar industry sharks are killed literally just for their fins and nothing else because we can't actually eat and digest their meat it's not good for us so they'll like cut off the fin and just like plop them back in the ocean and we'll just die um and they clearly can't swim that way so they use their fins for this soup that's made in a lot of different countries um in asia but predominantly in china and it's kind of like a status symbol because one bowl of shark fin soup can cost up to a hundred dollars um so nowadays shark populations are also crashing um a lot of people don't care as much about sharks because you know we're afraid of them um but sharks only kill about 10 people on average per year and humans kill up to 30,000 sharks an average per hour. Damn. And in the documentary, they had a guy who's a shark activist who literally lost a limb from a shark attack. And he's like devoted his entire life to saving them. So that's interesting. That's really, that's a really good person right there. I know. And then lastly, if if we didn't care about the animals, fishing is also dangerous for people. Um, people have been have gone missing all over the world because the governments try and send observers onto vessels and they're given the task to try and regulate and monitor what's happening Mm -hmm. and people like keith davis went missing off the coast of peru in papua new guinea 18 observers went missing in just five years so they're like they believe that these people are are being killed um to try and hide like what's happening there's obviously no proof Ooh, of this, scary. but that's like, that's a theory. Um, but fishing is just also just dangerous, you know? Um, it wasn't that that crazy, like, crab fishing show. Didn't the guy die, like, on the episode? Oh, gosh. I know that, like, oh, fishing um, show on, like, National Geographic. That was, like, a big thing. Yeah, it was really popular. Dangerous catch. Deadliest catch. Deadliest catch. Yeah. It was close um yeah it's it's very dangerous that's why they got a whole show i guess so they have some of the most dangerous jobs on earth there is an estimated twenty-four thousand workers that die due to hazards of fishing jobs every year jesus so with all of that why do we still keep this going you know like money um, like why (laughs) why do we have people who are like well i'm a vegetarian but i still eat veg you know like because even i have that that thought we're like well i could always just eat fish you know <laughs> like if i wanted to give up meat i guess so, like the um, feeling that you need like some sort of whatever chemical or protein or something but i know it's a myth i'm sure so neurobiologists have long recognized that fish do have a nervous system that comprehend and respond to pain fish no. like higher vertebrates have neurotransmitters such as endorphins that relieve suffering and the only reason for their nervous system to produce these painkillers is to alleviate pain. 
So people have long since thought that fish don't feel pain and they yeah. don't feel pain in the same way that other animals do, but they do. They do feel pain. Aww, I'm gonna cry. So in 1789, <laughs> English professor Jeremy Bentham, um, who made some statements that are now very central to the debates that surround animal welfare, um, he said that when we are considering our ethical obligations to animals, we should think about whether or not the animal can reason, talk, or suffer. So um, if that's like our criteria, people have, you know, been thinking like that fish can't feel pain. And like, even when I was researching this, I actually did come across this whole article that was talking about all the reasons why fish don't feel pain and that it has to do with their nervous system and that they, you know, it was like, a whole article and I was just like well I'm seeing research that's saying the exact opposite so I'm not sure who to believe kind of thing mm -hmm. um so that's you know somewhat still up for debate but it's you know becoming more and more clear that fish feel real sensitive. yeah I mean it's evolutionary you know I think mm -hmm. that's what kind of makes them scared I would think I know and I mean if they swim away because they're scared like they, they can reason like what danger is you know yeah I mean, so Penn yeah. State University biologist Braithwaite, or Bra Braithwaite says, quote, it is impossible to definitively know whether another creature's subjective experience is like our own. We do not know whether or we do not know whether cats, dogs, lab animals, chickens and cattle feel pain the way that we do, yet we still afford them increasingly humane. Um, I, I'm assuming that says oh yeah increasingly humane treatment and legal protections because they have demonstrated the ability to suffer so they're like well why don't they do the same thing for fish if if you know now we're thinking about like cruelty to animals and yeah trying to make things more humane then why aren't we because the same ignorance thing is bliss <laughs> so in the past 15 years braithwaite and other fish biologists around the world have produced substantial evidence that just like mammals and birds, fish also experience conscious pain. Um, they said, quote, more and more people are willing to accept the facts. Fish do feel pain. It's slightly different from what humans feel, but it is still a kind of pain, end quote. So psychology today, um, last little bit, said that studies have found that 60% of people who identify as vegetarians eat some form of animal flesh nearly every day. I can only assume that they're what? doing that act. A lot of them are doing it accidentally. Like you don't realize yeah. what the animal products are in what. Yeah, like gum, certain gum and, yeah. and McDonald's fries yeah. are made I in. To, I have to assume that that a little bit of that is factored in there, you know? And people yeah. you know, being a vegetarian, it's different than being vegan. So like, are you're still like yeah, you know, true. butter, milk, eggs and things and like even, that. Even if you you are eating some, you're eating way less than someone who's a meat eater, who's like oh, not yeah. actively trying oh, yeah. to. In a 2002 study, 41% of vegetarians of that study admitted that they sometimes consumed fish. This line of thinking even applies to some vegans. Um, Bill Clinton explained to a CNN reporter or interview how much his health had improved since he became a vegan. And he, uh, he just casually said, like, you know, now I try to eat salmon once a week. So, like, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how, how that makes sense, but okay. Um, 
doctors Rosenfeld and Tamiyama surveyed 251 pescatarians and they asked them, do you consider fish to be a type of meat? And nearly half the subjects, 41%, did not believe that fish were made of meat, which is kind of weird. What did they um, think it was made out of? I don't know. So, Jello? and then <laughs> Rosenfeld and Tamiyama wrote, quote, one reason as to why many pescatarians paradoxically consume animal flesh yet consider themselves vegetarian is that they simply do not view fish as meat. We speculate that viewing fish as distinct from other meat may be a strategy for reducing the cognitive dissonance and threats yeah. to one's moral self-concept. One might feel free from viewing oneself as a meat eater, end quote. Yeah, and but I think it's also, <laughs> but I think it's also like, it's hard to find anything. Well, now it's easier, but going to a restaurant, like finding any meal other than like a side dish, yeah. it doesn't even have any meat, including fish is really hard. So I think a lot of it is just like, well, if I'm going to eat with people and try to live a normal life, I, this is going to have to be like the meat I choose. Exactly. Anything. It's like the but, lesser of two evils yeah. kind of thing. And you yeah. have that because you don't want to be that person that's like, oh, I, I'm just going to sit here and not eat anything yes. because I can't. Because then, you know, you, what, you know, I was a vegetarian for a very short a time and, stuff going on and there, people yeah. love giving you their opinions about it, whether you ask for it or not. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and then they I feel like you're judging my, them. I almost yeah. made that my topic. I almost made that my whole entire topic is like, why do people get so riled up when someone just says like, I'm a vegetarian. And then yeah. sometimes people take that so offensively. They get like offended. Like when yeah. you're just saying like, I'm a vegetarian. They're like, oh, really? And then even myself, like I've even said, do you eat, like my immediate is like, do you eat fish? Like that's my first yeah. question. And like, then do you eat, do you eat nothing? A question, you eat fish? a question that I, for some reason always bothered me was like, can you eat that? Or, or like, can you, are you allowed, can you eat that? Like, it's like, why are you worried what I can eat and not like, or like, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. It, it just, I don't know. makes it sound like it's like some strict yes. rule, you know, like, are you allowed to eat that? Yeah. So just to clarify, Jay was a vegetarian for a little while. Yeah. Um, I made it six, I think seven whole months. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's more And I gained I about probably like 25 pounds in the process. <laughs> I did not do it. I did it like the opposite way that you're supposed to but I will say I didn't eat any fish products only because I don't like fish but exactly so you and still I still counts been doing right this for a while yeah um <laughs> aside from sushi yeah I just don't eat I don't eat a lot of fish hardly at all or seafood period because I I yeah I just don't like the taste um I've tried to be like a like a weekday vegetarian I've, I've done that before where yeah um, you like try and only eat your, your meat on the weekends. Um, yeah, I, I've just, I found it to be incredibly challenging to just give it up completely just because you're so used to a certain way of eating and you have yeah. to like completely and totally change what you eat. It's like going on a lifetime diet. Well, I think any, any reduction is still yes. um, helpful, you know? And, yes. I, and I think that's probably the best way to go for people that are used to having meat in their life a lot is just like little small changes, just kind of like when you're trying to lose weight, just like small changes, slowly, mm -hmm. not like going cold turkey. Yeah. For you me know? personally, I, I'm more concerned about the environment, like, you know, yeah. hearing all the yes. things that, you know, the carbon emissions and, you know, all that stuff that 
that, you know, happens due to all of this. And then also, you know, obviously how they're, the animals are treated right. during the process and like, is it healthy for you? Is it not? But I do think that um, it's not for everybody. And I do think that, um, I mean, being vegetarian, and I do think that, like you said, there is absolutely a right and wrong way to do it. Like yeah. you have to consider like what your body physically needs, like in order to, you know, stay healthy and run and function. So it definitely yeah. would take some potential like conversations with your doctor. Although there are a lot of uh, myths. That was another question I would get is like, well, how do you get your protein? Mm-hmm. Like you really don't need that much protein yeah. and you can easily get it from non-meat sources mm-hmm. other than like tofu, which everyone thinks that like, that's all vegetarians eat. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, like so tofu that's, all that much. It's too squishy. Well, you know, there's different levels of texture. there's the firm ones, but yeah it it is very it's a strange it's a strange food (laughs) because you're like it looks like it's like a square but it's got like a a meatish feel to it yeah it's also squishy like you said but yeah but anyway um but like even just vitamins iron you know like you just have to be like aware of like yeah what you need for your body not just for sure but yeah it's I think it's a little like over I think people think that vegetarians like you know all have iron deficiencies or that they're really imbalanced in terms of their you know um nutrition but it's actually I think that's kind of like an over kind of an overshoot for Mm -hmm. um non-vegetarians um I think people assume that you get like all these nutrients from meat, which is not necessarily true. There's a huge push now for people being like animal product free, you know, like, and so many people are saying like, like, for example, like, even if you don't eat dairy, because dairy is a, is a inflammatory and, you know, like it can help, you know, like your body in so many ways, if you just like (laughs) learning that the older I get (laughs) and then like, um, you know, like that cheese can cause headaches and, you know, all remember, kinds of crazy stuff. Remember when we were little and the got milk campaign was like huge. Yeah. It's like crazy how that changed. Now they're like, eh, actually milk was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I know. So, I mean, obviously everyone has different physical needs and yeah. that if you're going to change the way you eat. Yeah. Listen to your body. Think about it. Somebody, yes. consult a doctor. someone who knows something. Yeah, a nutritionist, (laughs) (laughs) Wikipedia, if you must. (laughs) Um, Well, that was a a very good That was it. That was my very long, interesting. No, it was very informative. Um, So mine is a little, I guess it's a pick-me-up a little bit. Um, Good. (laughs) So this is something I've always been curious about, but uh, my topic is more like something that that has happened to people and has been reported. Have you heard of a story where someone um, hits their head and gets into a coma and then wakes up speaking another language that yes. they didn't know? Yes. Yeah, so that is my topic. Isn't that the fugue? <laughs> or no, that's uh, no. So um, there's a few different theories out there, but not much is known. Um, so I'm just gonna like go over a few times that this has happened. Um, allegedly, I should say. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm kind of out of order in terms of the timeline, but oh, my sources are an order, 
an article by Doug, Chris, on CNN, Medical Daily News, ABC News, and of course, good old Wikipedia. Um, okay, so the most, this is probably the most recent one, um, which was in October 2016, a 16-year-old um, soccer player uh, named Ruben Nesemo was playing um, soccer in a uh, high school soccer game in Atlanta, Georgia. He was kicked in the head and um, suffered a concussion, taken to the hospital. He was in a coma for, I believe, a few days. He woke up um, speaking fluent Spanish. Um, right. His parents said he could, um, before the accident, he could speak some Spanish, you know, that he learned in school, um, but was never fluent in it until after the concussion. In hmm. fact, he couldn't speak any English. And when he tried, he would have seizures. Um, but eventually this, you know, kind of reversed itself and he went back to, you know, being able to speak English. And I think his Spanish kind of went back to being where it was. Because um, I, I listened to an interview and he was speaking perfect English, like with, you know, an American accent. Um, and then in 2012, an 80 year old, I'm sorry, 81 year old, Englishman uh, woke up from a stroke speaking only Welsh, which he had never learned. Um, well, he knew a little bit, let's say. He was last in the country in Wales over 70 years ago. Um, his English ended up coming back three days later and the Welsh faded. So that seems to be kind of the, um, the, what do you, the pattern with, yeah. yeah. Um, so, he was diagnosed with what's called aphasia, um, which is an acquired communication disorder that impairs a person's ability to process language, but does not infect intelligence. I'm sorry, does not affect intelligence. <laughs> I wrote infect. Um, it's, it only happens to about one in 250 Americans, uh, most commonly caused by strokes or neurological injuries. Um, it gives you the sensation of words being on the tip of your tongue, um, uh, which that would, uh, that's gotta be so frustrating. Me, yeah. Like, like it's there, but you can't quite retrieve it. Um, anytime that happens, I'm like, oh no. I'm I know. Kidding. I'm like, I know. I'm like, <laughs> especially if it's like not that hard of a word. I feel like as I get older, like, <laughs> I know. Like, it's happening. Be like, you, they said you mean it the would word happen. The? <laughs> um, so usually aphasia would affect all languages a person knows, but um, some neuroscientists believe that it's possible that in these cases that it's only affecting the person's native language, which is allowing them to access parts in their secondary language that they didn't even know that they knew, which I think is really cool. Because it's kind of part of that, like, you know, we only use 20% of our brain. Yeah. So it's like when something happens, our brain has to reroute itself and you know, figure out, okay, how am I going to communicate? And they're like, oh, wait, I have a whole nother um, language that's been like dormant yeah, in here. That would be super useful. Thanks. So I know. Much. Right. I know. I'm like, can, can that happen to me? Like, no, I'm kidding. It's like, um, why can't I just have access to this all the time? <laughs> so uh, this one I thought was the most interesting in 2014, um, a 22 year old Australian man named Ben McMahon was in a car accident, leaving him in a coma and he woke up only speaking Mandarin. Um, he, he did know a little bit, because again, in school, they're required to speak, you know, take a language class. 
but his seemed to stay. Um, he got, you know, he, he was able to speak English after a while. Um, but like when he came out of the coma, he found like a, a Chinese speaking nurse and like wrote in Chinese uh, Mandarin letters, like I, I love my family and I'm gonna get through this or something like that. So now um, ever since this accident, he's been giving tours of Melbourne um, in Chinese and appearing on Chinese TV shows. He did like this contest, this like Chinese speaking contest and was like a finalist. Hmm. Um, he's studying at Shanghai University. Like he's really just like wow. using this to his advantage. Yeah, and I watched like a clip of him on this show and and he says like, look, I still make mistakes. Like I'm not perfect. And he said his name Ben in uh, Chinese actually means stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so when he introduced himself, they were like, they thought he was joking, like, your name is stupid. Um, so, um, so neurologists believe that when the brain is damaged, it creates new help, new pathways to help out. Um, and so information for speaking in your native language is located on the left side of the brain. But um, the ability to speak a second language actually comes from the right side of the brain, it, as long as it's learned after childhood, which I thought was really right. interesting. So it's like, if your left side is damaged, your but your right side is okay, that would kind of make sense that, okay, you can speak that language, but not your native language. Um, so that's like kind of another theory, theory of, um, you know, why this happens. Um, and then in 2010, a Croatian teenager woke up from a 24-hour coma only to be able to speak German, which she had just started studying. Um, she required an interpreter to communicate with her family. Can you mm -hmm. imagine getting that call? Like, I think Ben McMahon's father was like, yeah, we got a call from the doctor. They're like, well, we have good news. You know, he's out of the coma. Um, but there's some other news and they're like, well, the other news? like, well, he can only speak Mandarin. <laughs> can you imagine? I would think that my kid was like faking it. Yeah. I would have been like, like, all right, come on, let's snap Do, out are, of this. Like, I get, you don't want to go to school, but like, <laughs> we can work through this together. Okay. Jeez. Um, and, and then they also talked about what's called foreign accent syndrome, which is uh, basically a rare condition where, again, someone has a stroke or some brain trauma and they lose the ability to speak um, like aphasia, what we talked about earlier. Um, but when the speech returns, um, they sound like they have an accent, mm -hmm. um, but it's not an actual accent. It's um, linguists say it's a speech impairment, but because um, you know our brains like interpret what we hear a certain way, we kind of um, put it to a certain accent, like, you know, kind of like a, like a cognitive um, shortcut, I guess. Okay. So, um, and I actually, I watched some videos of people that had gone through this. Um, there was one woman, I can't remember where she, well, the first woman they interviewed was from Texas, born and raised. Um, and then she had jaw surgery and just to correct an overbite. And then she, um, after the surgery, she spoke with what sounded like a British accent to me. Um, so that was interesting. Um, Cause like, I'm like, part of me was like, for a few of them, I was like, is this real? You know? <laughs> like, so um, where are you from? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And, uh, and her kids were like kind of making fun of her, but, um, you know, for the person, it is actually really frustrating because they like, you know, they want to be able to speak normally, but, and I think, uh, for most of them, it's part, it's a temporary stage in their recovery. And it usually comes back depending on how severe, um, uh, but there was another woman, um, I believe she was from Australia and she got into some sort of accident and um, woke up with what sounded like a, um, a Chinese accent. Um, but it was interesting though, because like, okay, it's one thing if you can't pronounce the words, but she was also like, sounded like she didn't like she didn't use the correct tense of verbs as if she was from another country mm -hmm. because like I would think you would still know like you know past tense present like the correct grammar you just would sound different but with her it felt a little more forced like she you know was you know more putting a little more <laughs> effort into sounding that way I don't know um and then there was like a woman from I think also England that uh, got like, I guess some sort of French accent. It's just so interesting that it's like kind of different sounding for each person. You would think mm -hmm. they would all sound the same. Um, but uh, researchers have found that in some cases with FAS, certain areas of the brain are affected, including the cerebellum, which controls motor function. And this suggests that speech pattern um, alteration is more mechanical. So it's just kind of like automatic. Um, like I said, it's te usually temporary. Uh, the vowels are more likely to be affected than the consonants, um, more common in women than men. Yay. No. <laughs> and only, only this is interesting, only 12.5% had been exposed to the accent beforehand. Oh. Um, yeah, so that's what I was like, wow. So I guess it really could just be a speech impediment that just, you know, happens yeah. to sound like, you know, like they have an accent. Um, but like I said, I just am surprised it wouldn't be like the same throughout. But I guess if you have a different language pattern, then obviously, or a different accent to begin with, it's going to sound different for each person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's because it's so rare, it, you know, it is something that they still need to do some work on. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And with these people waking up and speaking different languages, I, I did read that there were no like peer reviewed articles or, oh, or okay. research done. And like the only one that I, where they showed the guy speaking the other language was with the guy from Australia that was speaking Mandarin. And like the other people like were just claiming that they had done that. And oh, okay. like the one guy, like the kid from, um, that was uh, it, the 16 year old from Atlanta, Georgia, like the family also had like a GoFundMe page for his medical bills. So part of me was like, well, did they kind of make this up? Like, you know, as a way to Mm -hmm. get people to donate which hey you know if you need money you need money so not gonna you know not, but I don't know it's just I guess it's not I thought there would be uh, a little bit more information it's very creative if yeah. someone's deciding to make this up <laughs> like I know when do you get that thought <laughs> like when does that got come it. into play 
I am sure people do make this up. I, but yeah. I kind of do believe that it also happens for real as well. It's like varying degrees. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting though, because it's like, like when we're learning a new language, um, you know, we feel like we don't really know it, but it's, I think it's really, we do, we know a lot more than we think, but our, our native language gets in the way because that's mm. the easiest one yeah. to go to. But if we are, you know, if we're cut off of that part of our brain and we're forced to use other language, it sounds like we we can do better than than we think. Yeah. Well, that gives me hope if I ever get stranded in a another country. <laughs> and just brush up on that French and you'll be good to go. <laughs> and make make sure you hit your hit your left side of your brain. <laughs> okay. Well, that's so that's uh, that's all of my topic. Oh, <laughs> that's a great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've definitely heard of aphasia before yeah yeah and how like you know your the way you talk can be affected if you have like a stroke but I know that also like it can affect like your face right when you have a yeah. stroke, like and like yeah it's, it can become... affect all sorts of things yeah so there's probably like a physical element to that too like how well you yeah like they, the, the motor mouth. functioning yeah, yeah yeah so it's I guess that's all in the cerebellum Oh my goodness gracious. Well, oh. I would be okay with waking up and speaking another language as long as I could also still speak English so that I could like communicate well, with everybody I still ways, know. Apparently. <laughs> I would like to be able to not have to have an interpreter. Um, oh, well, you know, ideal. in your case, I wonder if you would wake up uh, with sign language since that's like probably your most like- Did fluid. you find anyone who was able to do that? I, I did not- I did not see anything about that, although because that's really interesting. Think, that's probably a whole nother side of your brain as exactly, well. Exactly. Yeah. Part. Yeah. Because it's like I don't know. There's only one way to find out, Bay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All jump right. off the roof of your house now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's calm it down. Now, um, sorry, I had my coffee, so <laughs> feeling good. All right. Well, but that was very interesting. I've always kind of thought about that because I remember hearing about it in like Psych 101 and stuff. But yeah. as I bite into oh, my banana. I, I thought you were going to eat the skin of that banana. I was no, like, no, my husband already says that too. It's like it, if, you, if it won't open when you like bend it with your hand, you gotta use your Open feet. it from the bottom. That's what I did I the know. other day. That's, that's how monkeys eat bananas. They hold the stem, apparently. It's what are like you trying to say? Way. What are you trying to no, say? No, no. Apparently that's like the smart way and the correct way. Cause you know, yeah. the stem is essentially like your holder. Yeah. So I, smarter it's than very, me. well, I, I learned that in a Weight Watchers meeting. <laughs> <laughs> this woman was really excited to show all of us and everyone was like, oh, how to open a banana, God. how to peel a banana. Yeah, well, doing it upside down than what we've always done. Oh my God, some people just need to keep Literally, she themselves. stood up in front of everyone. <laughs> These women were about to fall out of their chair. Oh my God, I never I thought of never, that. Never, never say that. I thought they were going to have heart attacks. <laughs> Calm it down, ladies. It's a banana. Is, is this oh. really going to change your life? <laughs> <laughs> For some people, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everybody has different things to keep them some going. People love bananas. Well, enjoy. I think this is going to be our last podcast for a while. I think that we'll see you guys yes. um, probably towards the end of June yes. because Jay is getting married. 
Yes, and I need some time to. She needs some time to prepare. So yes, we probably will see each together. other. <laughs> so we'll probably um, you'll hear We're back from us at towards the end of June. Um, so yes, stay stay tuned for yes. another episode, um, either the last or second to last week of June. Yes, and catch up on uh, other episodes. In the meantime, that you missed. Yeah, rate, like, and subscribe. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.